Thanks, Natalie. Speaking of the word violence, many of you know that I am a Chicago Bears fan. Yes? Come on, Bears. Yes? Um, and uh, the Bears fan, I, I was, uh, you know, the, some of the best parts of the history of being a Bears fan is their defense, specifically their linebackers. Yes, some of you know what I'm talking about. Yes, come on, Sterling, you know, yes. They've had some of the best linebackers and defenses, um, like Mike Singletary, one of the best uh, linebackers of all time, yes? Now, one of the worst parts of being a Bears fan, would anyone know what that is? <laughs> Quarterbacks, yes! Quarterbacks, horrible, terrible. Like, there's no John Elways in our history, right? It's not there. Well, this last offseason, during the draft, some would argue there was a moment of divine intervention. <laughs> that just enough teams had passed, and the Bears, miraculously, who never draft well, suddenly moved up in the draft, and they got this player by the name of Justin Fields. And they've been put, we knew it wouldn't be long before they started him. He started playing, and he's doing well, and the Bears are still a very bad football team, right? <laughs> are they going to make the playoffs? No, they're not. Are they going to fire their coaching staff at the end of the year? Most likely, yes, yes. However, there was this moment. It happened to be on Halloween. The game, and they were playing the 49ers. The Bears were, and it was a fourth and one on the twenty. And Justin Fields takes it, and it's a broken play. They're not going to get the one yard that they need for a fourth down. He scrambles the other way, makes some moves, runs 20 yards, and scores a touchdown. Game changer. Like, wow, of course, they lost the game. So it, it, it wasn't a game changer for that particular game, but it was a game changer for Bears fans. Like, we were like, okay, we, we've never seen that before. What? And I want to ask you the question, have you ever had a game-changing moment in your personal life? Where something happened, you're like, okay, this changes stuff, especially spiritually. Have you ever had a, a game-changing moment spiritually in your life? One game-changing moment for me was when I was a senior in college and I'm at this Urbana Missions Conference and there's like over 15,000 students gathered together in, in, this was in uh, Illinois, Urbana, Illinois, and we're taking communion together, and I am taken aback by the beauty of the gospel. I'm taken aback by the need of the gospel by this broken world. Some would say I was baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit. I began to weep. 
And that's part of my story of my calling. I said, this, this changes things. He, I, I got the impression that he was inviting me out to, to go tell people about him and share the gospel. I wanted to share a, a game-changing moment from my mom's life. She used to tell us the story. My mom was, she was a passionate woman for the Lord, and she was uh, praying for the gifts. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, um, in the way of love, in love, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. She was doing that. She was eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, she had it on her heart that she wanted the gift of tongues, and she was pursuing that and, and praying and pressing in and waiting and going to churches and conferences and longing, and, and, and it wasn't happening, and she was frustrated, and she, what, was she doing something wrong? Was there sin in her life? And she was just, can't you just appreciate the passion that she had for the Lord? And in the middle of the night, she woke up. She's right in the midst of the, this pursuit. And in the middle of the night, she woke up and she said, there was Jesus at the end of my bed. And he didn't say anything. He didn't grant her the gift that she was longing for. That would come later. But he touched her, her foot, she says, her big toe. And his presence and power just touched her foot and went up her body all the way as she was laying there. And she got this experience of peace, of love. It's okay. I'm with you. It's a game changer for her, right? I think it's so interesting. He didn't even grant her the gift at that moment that she wanted. It was just that grant and, yeah, wanted that. We've been in this series, this mini-series called Thin Places, and we've been looking at those moments where the physical and the spiritual realities come together in powerful ways, sometimes thick with God's presence, like my mom's experience or my experience at the mission conference, but, but sometimes get a, a glimpse of the spiritual battle that we were talking about uh, earlier that, that's happening, that we, we, we see and sometimes experience as if the, the curtain is being pulled back between earth and heaven, and we get to see some of those spiritual realities. This morning, we are going to look at what I would call the ultimate passage of thin places, the, the passage that should shape and affect all the other passages of thin places. In fact, I've heard from a number of you, they said, boy, we would have loved to go longer in this series. Maybe in the new year, we'll pick up after Advent or, or shortly thereafter, Thin Places Part 2. But this passage in particular, I think has a lot to say about thin places, not only in Scripture, but in our lives. And I'm going to suggest that this is a game-changer of a passage of Scripture. 
It's a game changer. It was for the apostles and the disciples, but I would argue that this passage of Scripture should be a game changer for us as Christians today. And here's the primary way that I, I think it should change us. I just want you to set it up and you think about it and us, uh, process this together. That I believe it's meant to change our faith in this way. That we don't simply, we aren't simply a people who wait for those thin places to happen. We don't simply wait for the, the, the moment that we're filled with the Spirit or touched by Jesus. But that this passage really allows us to cooperate or create or even initiate those thin places in our lives on a regular basis. All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 9. And right, this is a passage of scripture that is right in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus has, part of the interesting ministry, if you follow the life of Christ, if you read the Gospels all the way through, you, you'll recognize that Jesus was concerned about his identity, that he was trying to communicate who he was, but really he was waiting for revelation from the Father to the apostles so that they would recognize who he was. And in chapter 9, he actually asked the apostles, who do the people say that I am? And they're like, well, some say you're prophet, some say you're Elijah. He says, what about you? And then in this famous moment, Peter, for a change, gets it right. And he says, you're the Messiah. King, the, the Savior. He says, don't tell anybody that. But then look at verse 27. Luke chapter 9, verse 27. Truly I tell you, so he's revealed this truth. And he says, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. He's connecting his identity, his reality to what's about to happen. Verse 28, about eight days after Jesus, so Luke, the inspired author, he's saying, hey, this, Jesus said this, and then this happened. He took Peter, John, and James with him and what went up onto a mountain to pray. Why did he only take kind of this inner circle of Peter, John, and James? We don't really know. Maybe the others couldn't handle this kind of revelation, this story that was about to take place, but they were kind of his inner circle, and so he brings them, leads the, uh, leads the others to minister, takes them up to the mountain to pray. As he, Jesus, verse 29, was praying, the appearance of his face changed 
and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Can you imagine that? Like his face lighting up. Have you ever seen lightning in the sky? His face, his clothes were ablaze with the glory of God. What a sight. Clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus, as if the lightning face wasn't enough for these three. These patriarchs, this Moses, actual Moses, Elijah, they show up to have a little conversation with Jesus. Can you imagine seeing this? Appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, literally his exodus. It's about his death on the cross, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, as Moses and Elijah were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I like how Luke just adds, yeah, he didn't know what he was saying there. He, he, was, right, he was flabbergasted. He was overwhelmed. I wonder if John and James were like, Peter, shh, no, just <laughs> take in the moment, right? Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. You have your own Bibles, you might want to highlight cloud. Mentioned twice. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, you might want to highlight voice as well. Cloud and voice. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Would you agree with me that this was most likely a game-changing moment for the apostles? Jesus being lit up with lightning. Moses and Elijah being there in conversation. Wow. A moment. How do they, what would I, I think they would have walked down. We have in some of the other gospels, some of their conversation, but they would have said, what in the world? Who? Ha. Huh? I, I guess I was right, Peter. He is the Messiah, but maybe even more than we thought. 
Why would Moses and Elijah come and be there and present? What does this mean? What does this change? How now should we live as his disciples? I can't imagine all the, the questions that that would have stirred in their experience. And I wonder some ribbing by James and John about Peter. So the, the spiritual being Moses, you were going to build a shelter for him, Peter? That was good. good. Good work. No, no. Can you imagine how they would have processed that moment? Well, of course, later is it finds its way into the gospel telling. I want to process together maybe what some of their conversations would have been. How they would have said, how does this change things? How do we live differently from this experience of the transfiguration? And I think part of that discussion would have been centered around Elijah and Moses. And why did they show up? What does that mean? And I don't know if they would have, would have uh, really come to solid conclusions, but there is some things, I think, some evidence we can see. One is this, is that there is a phrase in Scripture that's used often. The law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. So they saw, especially first century Jews, they saw themselves as the children of God and that part of the gifts of God to them was the law, the revelation of the truth. Uh, how to live, how to understand God, how to understand our world, how to understand ourselves, and how to live in that world as well as the prophets. Elijah was one of the original prophets, but then all the prophetic words given through the time and the telling and challenging and helping people to apply, interpret, understand, and live the law that God had revealed, the law and the prophets. Most commentators would say that Moses represents the law, so you could look at for example, John chapter 1, the law came through Moses. He, he's the one. Moses came down from the uh, mountain with the Ten Commandments, right? And Elijah, being one of the original prophets, he comes and, and gives interpretation to that. And so part of that understanding, law and prophets, was also what's Jesus' relationship to the law and the prophets. Well, Jesus tells us specifically in, for example, Matthew 5, 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, which people were wrestling with perhaps, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. Jesus this points, really, the transfiguration points to the uniqueness of Jesus. That as great as Moses was, Jesus supersedes him. As great as Elijah was and all the prophets, Jesus supersedes him. 
as great as all the folks. Now, now think about that for a moment. Think about all of the truth and wisdom in this world and the places of wisdom and truth in this world. Think of maybe your favorite authors, uh, your, your favorite bloggers, um, your, your favorite philosophers or teachers, all of those, that, that truth that's there, Jesus supersedes them all. I want you to think about now the voice that you heard. If you have your bulletin, look at that last verse. Could we go to that last verse? Is it Cindy back there? Yes. Can we go to that last verse? This was actually uh, Peter talking about this moment, the transfiguration. And Peter says this, we ourselves heard this voice. He's talking about the voice of God that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He's talking about this moment of transfiguration. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark Place. This world is full of all sort of, sorts of half-truths and manipulations and lies. You would do well to pay attention to the voice who said of Jesus, listen to him until that day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That, that, that voice is really two things. It reminds us of Jesus' baptism with water and then the Spirit, the Spirit descends. And guess what happened when the Holy Spirit descended on Christ, preparing him for ministry? There's a voice that says, this is my son, listen to him. And they would have been, wow, that was awesome moment. But now he's saying, you have seen my son in his glory. You've gotten a glimpse of who he really is. The only begotten son who supersedes all other voice, all other truths, all other elements in your life. Listen to him. There's something else that Peter is pointing to when he says... At the end, he says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, he's referencing the second coming of Christ. In fact, Jesus' light and clothes lighting up looks a lot, the commentators would say, of the, the depiction of Christ when he returns the second time and brings the consummation of the kingdom of God where he rules forever and ever, where every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He's pointing you to see that voice that's present in your life right now. There is a day that he returns in full glory. And guess what? There is no other judge. There is no other authority. No other truth. It is only, it, it's not Elijah. It's not Moses. It, it's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. 
right? It, it, it's not Oprah. It's not your favorite author. It's not your favorite blogger. It's Jesus Christ who returns that we will stand before and give an account of our lives. Well, Jesus, I did this because I was listening to the podcast and I thought it was so cool. I know it was contrary to some of the things that you said, but this was really well articulated. We don't get to say that. I was reading uh, about one of my, I won't throw this individual under the bus, but one of my favorite um, musicians writing, and I know he's a Christian, and he was saying, you know, I'm all in on Jesus. I'm just not in on his church. Oh, that's a very acceptable cultural thing to say, right? You've heard that before, right? Here's my problem with that. My problem is not the problem you think I'll have with it. My problem with that is not because I'm a pastor and I serve the church. That's really not my problem. Here's my problem, is the inconsistency with that. If you're all in on Jesus, would you be all in on what he says about the church and the role he thinks the church should play in your life? Yes, You can't say I'm all in on Jesus and then disregard what he says about a whole host of things about your life. You fill in the blank. What does Jesus say about marriage? What does Jesus say about um, uh, sexuality? What does Jesus say about integrity? What does Jesus say about truth? What does Jesus say about relationships? You fill in the blank. You don't get to say, I'm all in on Jesus, but I live, yeah, just disregarding everything he says. No. The voice came and said, you have seen who Jesus is. You've seen this revelation that he is my son. He is from eternity. Above all else, listen to him and live your lives by what he says. Many of you are following our our departure from the RCA and our embracing of a a new association of churches called ARC. And we're putting out little videos on Tuesdays if you haven't seen it. Um, But one of the things that we've talked about is from the floor of our, our, our denominational gathering, it was being argued the insufficiency of the New Testament to understand sexuality. That is not okay. What is the New Testament? The New Testament is the Gospels, the story of Jesus Christ. The epistles, they explain the Gospel of Jesus Christ and how we're called to live. And we believe that Jesus is the revelation of God and he interprets all of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And we're called as Christians, as Christ followers, to live believing in his sufficiency, believing in his truth, believing in his revelation, that all All other truth pales into comparison to Christ. Amen? Yeah. 
So we live that out, that moment. I don't know what level the apostles would have understood Jesus and his identity. Yes, Peter just confessed him as Messiah, but now they saw him in his glory and they hear the voice of the living God say, listen to him. In their context, they might have been like, well, you know, we've got some good rabbis in our time that share some good stuff, but we're going to go to Jesus on everything. And for us, there's a lot of truth out there. There's a lot of some good, some not so good. But regardless of how good that is, we listen to the voice of Jesus. I think that would have been a game changer for them. I think that would have even more so. They said, all right, Jesus supersedes even Moses, even Elijah. And I think there's a second way that this would have been a game changer that relates to our series Thin places. And if you've got your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 1? We're going to start, keep your finger in, in chapter 9, but we're going to go to John chapter 1, starting in verse 47. So this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's calling his disciples. He calls Philip, and Philip is so excited. He's like, Yes, the rabbi invited us. And then, and then he goes to Nathaniel, and he gets Nathaniel, and this is where we pick up the story of verse 47. Um, so Nathaniel and Philip are, are coming towards Jesus. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What a compliment. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. <laughs> awesome. Like he, right away, listen to Jesus' response. Jesus said, you believe because I told you. Uh, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Very truly I tell you, amen, Eli, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. For those of you who were with us the last couple of weeks, what story is Jesus referencing? Jacob's ladder, yes, yes. And they would have thought of that. Nathaniel would have thought of that moment. He knows the story. He was a good Jew, faithful Jew. He knows that where this incredible game-changing moment in Jacob's life happened where heaven was open and angels are ascending and descending into this world as messengers. And Jesus says, you're impressed I saw you under the tree? Just wait. Now, what do you think that Jesus meant? 
what was he what did he what was he saying that Nathaniel was going to see was there a moment in his life in ministry that Nathaniel would have gone oh this is not an easy question would it have been the transfiguration I would argue this the whole of Jesus' ministry was an open heaven with angels ascending and descending in the work. That the whole, when he drove out demons, when he brought healing, when he preached the truth, all of those things, it was this open heaven Angels ascending and descending in the life of Christ. And I think that Nathaniel would have saw that and remembered that and Philip and said, there's a moment, there's a moment, there's a moment, there's a moment. To, to use the language of our series, which I think is appropriate, that Jesus' whole life and ministry was a thin place, was the physical and the spiritual coming together, was the reality of the kingdom of God filling the earth, the reality of the kingdom of heaven touching, coming, and people seeing and experiencing this place. Now, from that, how would of this changed the life of the disciples? I would argue this, that it changes, they slowly realizing that a thin place isn't just something we pray for and wait for, but a thin place is something we get to actually led by the Spirit, create and initiate and live into. I was thinking of the, the, uh, the uh, book of Hebrews where, um, well, let me do this first. Would you look at the cloud? Anyone, is there any significance in the cloud? What, Robert, what's the significance of the cloud in the Old Testament? The Shekinah presence of the Lord. Yes, so think for a moment when they're in the desert and God says, I'll lead you, and he gives them a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. It represents God's presence among them. Also think of the temple when Solomon, right, he uh, dedicates the temple and we're told the priests bring in the Ark of the Covenant and I'm reading from 1 Kings 8, you don't have to turn there, but it says, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. The, the presence of God was so powerful. The priests were like, whoa. 
Or, or think of Mount Sinai, where the cloud falls on the mountain, and the people have to get, whoa, the cloud happens. Now they're seeing Jesus with his lightning face, and his clothes bright. and what happens? This cloud moves in. And it becomes a thin place, thick with the presence of God. With me? All right, now, thinking of the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is all about, it's predicated on the difference, the change that Jesus makes and the new covenant. And one of the climactic moments of the book or applications of the book, Hebrews 10, 19 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, you know that place where the priest brought the, the Ark of the Covenant in, that place where the, the cloud filled, that place that represents the the, the presence of God's glory and power, the place that they had to put up this thick curtain because the presence of God was too great for the people, that place, that holy place. Since we have confidence to enter that place, that most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. He's referencing the, that curtain, that thick curtain was ripped and so the presence of God, that glory of God was made available to us in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say game changer here, but he should have, right? He's saying this game changer of the ministry of Christ Jesus. It changes the presence of God in our lives. It changes the access we have to God. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Let us draw near to God. He's putting the action point on us. He's inviting us to do something. Not just wait for God to draw near like Jesus did with my mom while she was in bed, like Jesus did with me in that missions conference, which I love and I value and I celebrate. But he's saying, because of all of this reality, you get to draw near to God. You get to initiate, led by the Spirit, thin places. Two Fridays ago, a dear saint uh, let me know, I know he had received a diagnosis of a fourth stage cancer. And he invited some of us to come to his house and we're in his living room and gathered together and he read some scripture. His expressions of faith was just beautiful and inspiring. 
his confidence and his trust in his prayer life. And he said, I've invited all of you to, to really do James 5, to call the elders, have them anoint you with oil and heal you. So we you know, have a tradition called the hot seat. We put him in the center in the hot seat. And we laid hands on him. Kindra was there. Veda was there. We're praying for him. You know what happened? That living room became a, a thin place, thick with God's presence. And there were scriptures and there were words given. And, and the cancer's in his chest and my hand was on his chest and it could have been he was wearing a sweater. I don't know. But there was some heat that was coming from his chest. And I asked him, how are you doing in the middle of the prayer? And he's like, I am hot. Like, all your hands, now we had hands on him, so it could have been, but boy, it, there was, it felt like the glory of God had descended on my friend. There's a thin place. Let me ask you this. Was God present in the living room before we started praying for our friend? Yes, but not in the way that we started praying. I don't have time to go on my whole soapbox. There's a little bit of semantics. But it's a theology of presence that I think we miss. Yes, God was present in an omnipresent way. Was he present in the Holy of Holies before the cloud fell? Yes, in an omnipresent way, but in a manifest presence way, there came. Yes? Let me try this. We had our last Missing Jesus, the last two classes of Missing Jesus on Wednesday night, and we just invited the Holy Spirit to lead us in prayer. Guess what we had in the middle of the circle? The hot seat. Yes, the hot seat. And I'll tell you the last one, there was this moment where a dear saint shared anything that happens is confidential, so we don't share it. I'm not going to give any details. Just felt like the Holy Spirit was inviting this dear saint to get into the hot seat. And he shared. So we gathered around him. And I just said, don't pray what your best thoughts for him. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit. You know what happened? That place became a thin place. Thick with God's presence. And in fact, it was a, another leader who was really given some pictures that were powerful and that were significant. Others were given scripture and we we're praying into our dear friend. And, and as we're praying, there's another person that was weeping. And it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that the spirit was working in powerful ways in that individual. 
And so we invited her then to sit in the hot seat. And we laid hands and that place became a thin place, thick with God's presence. See, I believe what we were doing in those moments is we were doing what Hebrews said. Because of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done, draw near to God. When we took communion, when we were worshiping, I believe this place was becoming a thin place, thick with God's presence. I believe the invitation of this profound scripture is that we would be a people of thin places, that we would be a people that aren't just waiting and and hoping maybe we'll have a special moment with Jesus. But, but we're initiating, led by the Spirit, that we're saying, oh my gosh, Jesus has given us access to this glory, to this cloud. Jesus allows us to actually listen in and hear the voice of the Spirit. Jesus has given us gifts that we might do that. Boy, I would love to quadruple the thin places in my life. I would love to be that person who says, oh, here's Eric. We might have a thin place coming. I would love for you all to be a people of thin places. I would love this new KLC that we commissioned and pray that that would be not just that they would love each other well in a, in a sense of caring for one another's needs, super important, but that that would be a thin place when they get together. What a game-changing truth of Christ Jesus that he allows us to enter through the curtain to the glory of God and draw near to the Father. Let's pray. Lord, I also pray Lord, that um, each individual here would have a desire to personally walk with you one-on-one in those thin places. That when we pray by ourselves in our living room or on a walk, that we would enter that thin place with you. Lord, I pray that this would be a church marked of these small gatherings of people. And we wouldn't just be going through the motions of prayer or faking it till we make it. That we would really be drawing near to you. 
Lord, would you let it be so? Would you teach us to be a people of thin places, a community of faith that walks and ministers and loves and prays in those thin places?